was wondering if I could ask you a question about your scholarly life in the university and your practicing as a forest monk. Yeah. How do you correlate to the two? Um, without much difficulty because I've, I've kind of, you know, I stepped out of that university life now, uh, what, 17 years ago and, you know, it isn't, it isn't a kind of persistent, strong kind of uh, uh, image, mental uh, or emotional image for me. So um, I suppose there are uh, habits, you know, habits of mind that continue. Uh, that's that's bound to occur. But uh, part of the reason I left is because I, I just didn't want to. I was say I was practicing for many years before that, but. Um, I wasn't interested in just in just staying in that, fulfilling that role, scholarly role. So, um, I think I was talking the other day uh, to to the group about um, yeah, I, I, I've I've noticed in myself that I've generally been uninterested in uh, continuing, kind of keep keeping keeping current, keeping up with whatever the scholarly developments are. And, um, and uh, yeah, sometimes when I'm reading a book that's full of footnotes, I kind of lean into them for a while because, ooh, that's interesting, or that's interesting. <clears throat> but, but, but I find that that interest wanes quite quickly. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't really feel like it's a matter of, um, you know, juggling or dealing with this old scholarly... Uh, um, Sanya of mine, my, my, so I, I appreciate the, uh, what it is that, that the forest kind of monk experience um, provides and um, that's, that's where I've, that's where I've put, you know, my efforts as a rule. But of course we have, you know, we have latent tendencies and that kind of thing and, and I guess that's continued, but um, I don't think a great deal about it. Uh, I see, like when I go back to Calgary, I tend to see a, a friend of mine. But he was, you know, he's a English professor, so um, uh, and he likes practice. So we can we can chat about Buddhist things and and touch on some scholarly things. But I, I just don't feel that I need to engage very deeply in in, in the second of those. So would you say that it's not an investigative sort of exercise as opposed to your watching, your looking towards um, settling your mind and then seeing where it takes you. Is yeah, that? yeah. You know, we we have our we're, our days are you know to some extent filled with just necessary things and jobs and. And uh, I'm I'm much better off not thinking about some scholarly issue when I'm working on the table saw, for instance. <laughs> it's a very good place to be, really, in the moment. I you know I can't tell you how many times I, I just imagine losing a finger. <laughs> and I, oh yeah, I have to. And it's sort of a reminder. Oh yeah, always be careful on the table saw. So <laughs> it's those kinds of interests that that. Uh, come up uh, to my mind more. Um, sometimes when I'm asked questions around Dhamma, then 
you know, I weigh a few options, and I guess some of those options have come out of having studied things in a more formal way, I don't know. But there are uh, lots of young monks uh, uh, who, um, who have entered the kind of path of Dhamma and practice, and who, <clears throat> who coordinate their, their practical life, their meditative life, with maybe an ongoing study of Pali, for instance. And I stepped away from that, too. I just, I just wasn't interested in, in, um, in continuing uh, that kind of line of intellectual inquiry for myself. Uh, it's not, a, not at all a criticism of, of, uh, of their interest, because um, you know, they've, they've stepped into monastic life uh, and then found this other part of the tradition opens up to them. Ah, oh, there's Pali, there's or there's there, there's this or that and the next thing. So um, it'll it'll I'm sure bring benefit to them to to enrich their experience of of monasticism and and uh, Buddhism. But uh, as I say, for me, it's uh, it's been good to just notice that I'm not interested anymore in. in all you know, holding all of those balls in the air, as it were. Why well, I ask the question is that when I listen to Dhamma talks from a Western teacher, it's more about the practice and and some of the experiences than when I listen to a Sri Lankan monk, a sort of a scholarly monk. He will be more focused on. A particular aspect of a soup, and he will discuss that. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of interesting how the two worlds kind of meet somewhere. <laughs> well, and, and there are of course Western monks who are very scholarly as well, um, and I'm sure I'm sure um, maybe their talks aren't recorded as often, but I'm sure there are must be Sri Lankan monks who are very much engaged, you know, purely in practice, and yes, yes, but yes. they just don't give or their talks tend not to be recorded, maybe because they're quiet and live in the forest. Yeah, it's um, it's always an encouraging thing, I think, when a tradition has such broad avenues of interest and expression, um, because it um, no single no single approach to dhamma, for instance, is going to be appealing to everybody. Um, a lot of people just aren't interested in meditation very much or at all, maybe. And yet, it's some of the, perhaps some of the intellectual concerns that um, first pique their interest and uh, lead them to read and to kind of grapple with this new worldview or what have you. And and other people are just are not so interested in, in um, the intellect or, or holding different points of view, but rather seeing what the tenor of experience, um, how it unfolds. So it's. Um, in our in a rich tradition, especially one so ancient as Buddhism, uh, you kind of expect it, but it it, it does um, it does speak to to its strength to reach to reach into the you know the mind states the the tendencies and so forth of, of a huge range of people. So um, yeah, there are some things that I that no longer interest me too much. I certainly wouldn't spend too much time. Um, uh, with them, but um, that may be just where someone else really wants to uh, uh, give their life, you know, to, to uh, inquiring in certain ways that, that are, aren't of interest to me.
So, yeah, I, I, I don't have trouble with that because I, I do think it's just an expression of the strength, the depth, the breadth of a, of a tradition. Yeah. So would you say that in a forest tradition, the focus is on the, the paramis and then getting rid of the hindrances as such, or how, how would you...? Well, uh, you know, as you know, you, you, you've been around for a long time in this tradition too. So yeah, I mean, the forest tradition does focus more on meditation. It, um, the way we live as monks, if we're talking about, you know, the monastic experience, of course, um, things are geared towards facilitating uh, experience of, of that kind, along with maintaining roofs and, <laughs> you know, plumbing and things. I mean, we have, of course, the practical side of things to deal with. Um, but that's why I think uh, monks such as myself are, are drawn to the forest tradition because of its... Uh, of its focus, uh, considerable focus on, on, on the practical side of meditation and, 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 and the Buddhist perspective. Um, but there are, even, even, even then, there are uh, more scholarly temperaments within, within this tradition. Um, yes, it's, it's very interesting to, to kind of encounter the... When, when monks don't feel like they need to um, uh, uh, conform to a very narrow model of monastic life, you know, when they, when they, when they recognize that, that they've got to make it something out of it for themselves, and therefore they have to give themselves, bring themselves to it, and the results will be different because everybody's different. But, but when we, you know, when you encounter um, a few dozen monks uh, over the years and, and, you know, you can see, you can see the different tendencies and different interests and, and um, the strengths in that and the drawbacks and so forth. It just, it brings the Dhamma to, to life, really, because people are, are putting effort in uh, according to their own particular temperament and, and uh, they have, um, that temperament will 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 draw from the Dhamma different different facets, different dimensions, colorations of the truth. And uh, so getting to know different monks over, over time is uh, quite rewarding as well because uh, they may have, uh, because of their own path and that, discovered ways of approaching meditation or what have you in, in, in ways that are uh, actually very beneficial for one to encounter, learn about, hear about. So, um, yeah, it's it's um, it's a you know it's a, it's a fascinating process actually, the practice itself and uh, meeting other monastics and hearing their approaches and all of these all of these things come together uh, in in very fortunate ways and I'm glad to be you know where I am. <laughs> I have a question on a more personal level. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, we have guests. We have guests. Hello. Hi. No, no. We've been sort of, I've been sort of expecting. Mother and sister, boy. Yeah. Oh, that's good. You like your rooms? Yes. <laughs> that's good.
That's good. <clears throat> Parents and family of monks always get a little bit some pride of place. <laughs> Just hope that the food, you know, is, is okay tomorrow. And yeah, well, the, my sister's daughter has been concerned they're going to starve. <laughs> starve them tomorrow because okay. they're no dinner. <laughs> No, I, I, uh, I doubt that that'll be the case unless that's a decision of yours. <laughs> yeah. Did, yeah, did, did, yes, yeah. Uh, this is on a more personal level, but yeah. uh, <coughs> I, I like, I'm very much into the practice and I want to pursue the spiritual path in a very serious way. Uh, my hindrance, my problem is that the family ties, the bonds to the family. It's so difficult for me even to come for a length of time and practice at this one. I have a husband at home. He's, he's helpless around the house. I mean, he doesn't have this concern. So, uh, the, and also, I have a son who is not married, who is home. So these... Um, uh, family bond is so difficult for me to come and I think I have a duty towards them, the responsibility and then to, for me to think about my practice and come. So I'm always debating, uh, fighting my thoughts, feelings as to how I could pursue this because I'm also getting on in years and this path has given me so much solace and tranquility and good friends and good teachers, of course. So it's a, it's a real struggle for me. So I was thinking you, I mean, you with a, such an affluent lifestyle you had and you left everything, the families, uh, how did you deal with those, the bonds of uh, <coughs> ties? Well, <coughs> um, with difficulty, you know. <laughs> They vary, you know, because I have two sons and uh, three brothers and, you know, family kind of constellation there. And um, uh, dealing with the process of leaving is ongoing in a sense, because every time I think of one of them, then there's another sense of you know, wherever they are. Um, I recognize that that um, um, you don't want to make too much suffering out of it. I mean, speaking to myself, because they they moved, you know, they they moved away from where we lived in Calgary, and um, they, of course, young men. So they uh, they went to university and they met their wives in various ways, and and um, and, and they've made lives for themselves. On you know, one is in. One is in, um, in um, I'm trying to think of the state. Anyway, he's, he lives around uh, Milwaukee, and the other is living in London. So um, he just realized that you can't, even if, you, if, it, if I had wanted to, if I'd, if I'd decided that more than anything, my, my life as a man would be fulfilled by, by being around my sons and watching them grow and marry and my grandkids, well, uh, I'd have to, I don't know where I would live yeah, if I'd made that decision. 
because they 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 made their own decisions and they moved away and they've um, they've had their families and so I I see them from time to time. Um, um, as far as my brothers, my wife, my former wife, my my parents. Well, my parents have have died now, and uh, my brothers also. I mean, I mean, I'm the youngest of four boys, so. Um, um, you know, good luck as the youngest son trying to uh, trying to control where your older older brothers live or how they view <laughs> the changes you make in life. Good luck with that. <clears throat> and um, so you you just you do your best. I think you do your best, and um, you recognize that um, that. Every life has a, a certain kind of complexion and coloration and, and movement and direction. And uh, our ability to make radical changes in that is still conditioned by all of those, all of those conditions. Um, um, some things are possible, some things are, are likely and, and easy, some things are quite difficult. So you just, you just keep working. There's a, there's a little uh, um, expression that I think comes out of a, I think Feldenkrais, have you ever heard of Feldenkrais, a kind of body movement system? Uh, the, the, uh, the fellow who started that system, he had this saying, he said, um, yeah, and it's sort of, so it's a, a movement system, yeah, and, and for health. He said, yeah, well, we make, what it, we, um, we make things that are impossible, we make them possible. Things that were, uh, things that were um, were possible, they become they become easy, and things that are easy become elegant. Yeah. So, it's just a, and I think it, it applies not just to physical movement or to health or something like that, but to many aspects of our life. If you find a direction that uh, is important, and you keep working in it, and you keep folding in as many uh, elements of your life as you can to try to transform them and, and see what comes of them, if you if you bring the best of your heart to uh, such endeavors, things that once were impossible do become possible. Things that were possible they become easy actually, and. Things that become were easy, uh, they they take on a kind of elegance. Um, so things change. Yeah, we. Um, I think one of the benefits of, of um, giving yourself to a tradition um, is that um, it's possible to um, to. To see how life itself is transformed by by just human goodness and human commitment, and that see what comes of it. That's what else can we do, you know? Um, the fortunate thing for me, and and, and you know maybe uh, for for many monastics, is that uh, taking that step, then you you step into a a path, a way of life which has been established for a long time. And so um, it takes a lot of the decisions away from, I mean, yeah, you don't have so many decisions to make because there are th some things you can do and some things you can't do. But but it also shows the way. 
um, that um, does simplify some of the aspects of life which are really difficult. Um, you know, if you're in a monastery, and, and some monasteries, they, the bell rings at three o'clock, you know, in the morning, and off you go to the to the meditation hall. And uh, it's not a choice, you know, and it's not a choice you'd normally make. But when you start just living that way, it, be, it becomes natural after a while. And and in becoming natural, you you sort of see what the benefits are of, of um, beginning the day that way, yeah? And uh, you see what the benefits are of... Um, Um, not making a problem of, of the way things are. Um, so uh, you see the benefits of uh, applying a lot of discipline or kind of strength or rigor to, to some things that were once basically <coughs> impossible for you. Anyway, you, you, you see how life itself transforms. So I'll probably start to ramble soon, but... <laughs> Yeah, there's you know we're, we we all of us have a kind of predicament, don't we? And this is it's good to remember that these things are, you know, in a in a Buddhist sense, are kind of conditioned by maybe lifetimes of karma, by lifetimes of interest and direction and the kind of choices we make. So to struggle too much with the way things are, say for in, in your case, may, that might that might bring more difficulty than is necessary to your life. Um, we know that there's benefit to, to um, challenging ourselves and, you know, physically, who would run a, who would, you know, jog every day, but sometimes people jog every day and they realize that it makes them feel stronger and that, and so it's, it's kind of giving yourself um, to some disciplines. Similarly, in spiritual life, um, uh, we're very fortunate to have... Um, to have the kind of interest in, in directing ourselves in certain ways and, and uh, doing things in a consistent way, you know. Um, human beings are, are kind of have a, have a sort of genius for undermining their best efforts by doing silly things on the side or, you know, so we, so we um, setting oneself uh, a, a path to, to walk and practice and, and inquiring in it and giving our loving attention to it, um, it tends to mean that, that we, we, um, we get the most out of it. it we, uh, whatever transformation can occur in the human heart is going to happen, is going to do so because we've given uh, um, our, our sincere efforts to something which is ennobling and, and uh, moral and, and um, a benefit to ourselves and others. So. Thank you. And you should never underestimate um, the value of what it is you do, for instance. You know, we... The trouble is with, with setting up, a, setting up a, having a kind of ideal, oh, a good Buddhist would, would behave like this, or, you, I mean, you could, you could fill in that blank with anything, Christ, Christian or, or whatever, but a, a good Buddhist uh, uh, would, would do this, not that, but I have to do that all the time, I should be doing this. And, but we, we underestimate uh, the value of, of just being good people, and uh, we underestimate 
it's hard to estimate or give proper estimation to things that we do um, in, a, in a selfless manner and just do, owing to our own uh, good intentions because they bring they bring uh, they bring benefit to others and we don't always it's hard to take stock of that you know but sometimes we need to um, maybe just have faith uh, in, in the goodness of these actions and uh, someone like you you know with all of the all that you do for this monastery um, um, take you know do, do remember to take stock of that sometimes and recognize that it uh, it brings benefit to many many people and that has spiritual benefit which is very supportive for wisdom <laughs> I have a question. Yes. Um, when I was in Thailand, uh, my Ajahn um, hadn't really been taught how how to meditate. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he trained for five years in, in, uh, in Ubon, and he, he learned breath meditation, but he didn't really learn Vipassana. He just kind of found his own way, and and. Uh, I was wondering, is there is there like um, some kind of cohesion among Western monks in that lineage, like in terms of practice <coughs> and meditation style? Is there like a systematic way of learning meditation in the Ajahn Chah lineage, or I, does I, everyone do their I'd own say thing? not so much. Um, one of the characteristics of forest practice, I would say is that, um, and it's very it's certainly true of Ajahn Chah's uh, system as, as I understand it, is that it isn't a technique school. Um, he, he, gave his, he, he gave his attention to teaching people in very practical ways. And, you know, in regards to monastic life, for instance, he was, he was, um, you know, talked a lot about keeping the toilets clean. Or how to how to wash your robes properly, or what have you. I mean, and uh, these practical prosaic details for him, I think, um, said a said a great deal about how one conducts oneself in human life as a monk or a nun. Um, and so, I mean, my my preceptor who knew Ajahn Chah for many years, he said, "Yeah, Ajahn Chah, you know, he, because he was a master meditator. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But um, maybe because he understood that uh, you cannot really convey the deeper aspects of meditation other than through example, you know." But uh, Ajahn Pisano, my, my preceptor, would say, yeah, you know, Ajahn Chah, he didn't talk much about meditation. He'd sort of say, yeah, well, you know, you, you watch the breath uh, and, until it disappears and then things get interesting. <laughs> Which, it's, it's, uh, it's nice, it's suggestive, <laughs> you know. But, but and, and to some degree, this seems to be a characteristic of forest practice where where the uh, the great monks don't really, my way of understanding it, it isn't a, it isn't a technique school. Uh, Burma, for instance, is very famous for every every monastery has a specific seems to have a specific technique for meditation, and um, one of the I mean, there's benefit to that because you really feel like you're doing something, you learn something, and you start to apply it, and and that's that's very encouraging. It can be. 
but it also leads people to um, to think that you know my technique is the best or the one I learned from my teacher is actually that's the way uh, the, the Noble Eightfold Path is lived, not this way. So there, it also leads to a certain sometimes contention. So uh, Ajahn Chah was was. Um, on the other hand, living around a great master like that, if your eyes are open, your ears are kind of you know open, you get to see how they live, how do they you know uh, um, how do they approach things? Uh, why doesn't he have problem with with these other things that we have problems? Well, I'm going to investigate that. How does he approach life? Uh, maybe it isn't just about sitting on the sitting cushion, in other words. So. Um, that seems to be a tendency uh, in the forest tradition that I've kind of encountered myself. That um, you know, the not bring, not making a problem of sweeping leaves, you know, or um, washing a bowl, or getting scolded about some little thing you, you know, haven't done your laundry right or something like that, but. Not making a problem of these things. That's there's a kind of genius to that, and some you you do see in the examples of some people this. You see the results of that, having having uh, lived like that for decades, maybe. So so when you're around someone like Ajahn Viradhammo, uh, who's who's just contemplated these these things for 45 years now. Um, it, it it spills over into their into their life, and if if you observe them carefully enough, it, it does have an impact on one's own life. But um, I may I may be straying from your original question, but anyway. Thank you. Could you tell us a little bit about your um, meditation? <laughs> <laughs> Not much to say. <laughs> Lately, I've been thinking a lot about this cabinet I've been trying to <laughs> sitting, sitting. Everybody thinks I'm meditating, but actually, <laughs> so, yeah. I can use a one and a quarter inch screws on that. So, you know, it's just kind of kind of normal uh, bringing up things that come in the day. Uh, well, my meditation, I do use breath a lot. Um, um, since, since it's ongoing anyway, I figure I might as well put it to use. <laughs> uh, breath meditation is, is, um, is quite, <clears throat> it's quite basic, I think, to, to the practice that I pursue. And, and you know, many, many people, I would say, that's the same. Um, I, do, I, I enjoy walking meditation a lot. Uh, not so much. I haven't done so much here, but in Thailand, I have this walking path that has a you know, has a roof over it, and uh, boy, that's that's very nice. You you can walk hundreds of kilometers, you know, over a period of time like that. Um, I uh, like in in retreats that I give too. I I also I found it partly because it's just a practical thing, but I I talk a fair bit now about uh, standing meditation. You know, the Buddha famously spoke about meditation in four postures, walking, sitting, standing, and lying down. And uh, because we think of the, you know, the, the sitting posture, that's where you know somebody's meditating. 
And um, do they look grim and, oh boy, they're, they're a hard meditator, must be a good meditator. You don't really know. But I think for most of us, it's, it's helpful to ex experiment and experience what it's like to hold a posture with a meditative frame of mind uh, and, and, and also experiment to see what it's like, say, standing. Or uh, Lumpur Viradamo and I have talked quite a bit about something that he's been doing now for the last number of years, decade or so, uh, which is uh, the, using the lying posture. And because uh, he has a lot of trouble, you know, he's in his early 70s, he has trouble with the neck and things like that. But he, he's, he's made very good use of the lying posture. Not many monks, basically, <laughs> basically, he's, he's, he's the only monk who's, who, whom I've heard speak of it with any uh, detail. Because he's actually put a lot of, uh, given it a lot of attention in the last eight or ten years, I think. So, um, um, and I've been kind of experimenting with that as well. When you get a when you get a feeling for what you know what we call mindfulness and, and um, uh, kind of clear comprehension and the quality of uh, quality of attention that develops with sati with mindfulness and um, there's a kind of beauty there's a, there's clarity there's stability there are. Uh, you know, there are many, many uh, wholesome and, and lovely aspects to, to sitting. And when you get a feeling for that, um, then it's, it's applicable. You can, you can, you can discover it uh, doing something else and sitting on this cushion in this room in front of people watching me, you know, that kind of thing. You can, you, can, you can see it arise when you're doing some work, maybe. You can see it uh, kind of develop. Uh, as you're as you're lying down or beginning to go to sleep, maybe, or as you're walking down the street, you can it can kind of echo. It kind of returns to you, and then you it, it you kind of fashion your attention in in a more beautiful manner, maybe as you're as you're doing some work or walking or what have you. So um, I have found it very valuable, and that's one of the aspects of forest practice, I think. Um, when you read the, the the teachings of great forest monks, they're talking a lot about sweeping leaves, frankly, or washing bowls, or or you know how to how to cut the uh, genkinun, the 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 um, the the, um, the wood to make the dye for the robes, or whatever you know, doing laundry. <laughs> but the, one of the reasons, other than the practical reason that they do that, is because there's so much value in people. Bringing their their attention. Think of what. Think of. I mean, what what greater gift can you give anything, anyone, than to give them your attention? Yeah, because it starts with that, doesn't it? You know, someone's in need or something, and you give them your attention. How beautiful. Similarly, when when we're we're doing something practical, uh, to actually be right there and not thinking about you know the cabinet I'm trying to make or whatever. When you're right there, that's that's all. You don't want to be anywhere else. You're not, you know. You're just right there, doing what is necessary in, in that moment. And uh, of course, we've all probably experienced once in a while in our lives when when someone someone was right there for us, some uncle or aunt or or mother or father or or some good friend who we were struggling, and they they suddenly just kind of 
you know, the, the, the atmosphere in a room kind of becomes quieter and, and, and they're actually listening to what you're saying and you get it. Oh, they actually care about me. Oh my goodness. How wonderful. So um, these, uh, it's, I often think of meditative life um, in terms of aesthetics, you know. Um, it's valuable, I think, to um, like develop a kind of vocabulary around beauty or around uh, goodness or, or so forth. And, and um, a vocabulary which is coming out of experience, yeah. And uh, therefore, we no longer are so prone to limit our understanding of meditation, the fruit, the value, the, the application, the technique of meditation. Uh, we, we, we no longer are so prone to see it only in terms of the sitting posture, for instance. So, but <clears throat> these things, these things are, are easier, they come more naturally when when we've had the opportunity to, to practice for some time. And, and, uh, and certainly monastic life makes this thing, makes this sort of uh, investigation more natural because, uh, you know, there is kind of encouragement to see life in these terms. So... As with any question I... I <laughs> hear, give me three minutes, five minutes, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm rambling, and I, I probably have lost the, the uh, particular flavor of, uh, of your question, but, uh, yeah, my, my own uh, practice has developed in those kinds of ways. Yeah, and and I expect that your um, your own ability to to bring the mind, you know, to bring peace and clarity to the mind in your daily life has probably developed, uh, uh, you know, magnificently in the last ten or twenty years. Because you, it's it's something of interest uh, and value to you, and so that's where the mind goes. It, Again and again, we keep thinking we're making mistakes, but actually we're we're just getting a little bit better at at, at this thing that we're valuing. So, yeah, it's uh, as one of my early teachers would say, and it's you know it's the most interesting game in town. <laughs> just keep with it. <laughs> yeah, that would come up that. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I've lost track of time. Uh, yeah. It's uh, six. Six o'clock. Okay. Good. Can I ask? Oh yeah. Okay. Please. Um, I think uh, with my oh, my sister here. 
Hopefully this isn't too tricky, but um, <laughs> you were uh, one of the early Theravada monks ordained in the West. Just curious, um, what, what, what are the, what you notice kind of some of the benefits that monasticism has brought to the West and common misperceptions and mm. yeah, that kind of interplay. Any thoughts you have on that? Um, well, I, I do think that, that uh, Buddhist monasticism is, um, I mean, I'll, I'll, it, it goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway, it, it isn't for everybody. <laughs> you know? And, uh, and um, uh, relatively few people are very interested in it, and, and that's okay. Um, as Ajahn Viradamo used to say, it's, you know, I mean, not everybody wants to be a hairdresser bus driver or whatever I mean it's just it just that's human nature is, is different but um, yeah I've, I found that it kind of participating in monastic life um, I, you know I feel like it brings some value to um, it's obvious that when you're in the East that um, people have faith in in uh, <coughs> One being a monk, even though there are you know some pretty naughty monks in a in a Buddhist culture, still they give people the benefit of the doubt. And then when they when they see uh, monks, they feel are probably quite good. That really arouses their faith even more. In the West, of course, is very different because um, um, for most people in the West, all you are is an anomaly. I mean. You know what's with the shaved head and the robes, you know, <laughs> or or uh, they've maybe seen on the news maybe other monks, so they they have a general sense that you're a Buddhist or a Hindu or something. Um, Hare Krishna, you know, I've been asked if I was Hare Krishna quite often, and um, what the Buddha said about about all of this is that is that is that the robes are um, a kind of emblem uh, of of, um, of goodness in a way because um, people who take them on um, give themselves to a kind of moral training which is unusual. It certainly isn't unique because there are very good people in the world that aren't Buddhist monks and nuns. Very good thing to remember, you know. I mean, my, my little way of expressing that has often, you know, a number of years has often been, yes, I'd, I'd much rather have tea with Desmond Tutu than a lot of Buddhists that I know. <laughs> you know boy, you know, there's a man, I'd, I'd love to be able to sit down and have tea with Desmond Tutu. But yeah, you just get, you, you just remember, um, uh, goodness is not, is not confined to somehow being Buddhist. But... Um, there's a sense that uh, it, it offers for people like myself who, um, who are you know, inclined in this particular direction, and it's relatively rare, um, then um, it offers something which is unusual, is, is uh, something that, that, that uh, I didn't feel I could find in other uh, aspects of my social life. 
and then um, it's like you um, you be it's like you, you you kind of get involved in a kind of experiment a grand experiment you know with life uh, what more can a person do than give their life to something I mean that's about about um, about the best that the most one can do and um, and eventually uh, it, for me it, it, it um, became obvious that um, giving my life to it would be was was just the right thing for me so already I think I've strayed away from your <laughs> Can I ask you a question? Yes. Yes. The mom. So one of the mom. <laughs> 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 are not Buddhist, yeah. I'm a practicing Christian. Yes. One question we kind of repeat a lot, really, Henry and I. Christian, really, the ideal is someone who serves and does good and helps feed the hungry and clothe the poor and and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And it's it's about doing for others mm -hmm. to raise them up. And my perspective of Buddhism, which is very limited, is it's about raising oneself up to get higher. Yes. So what is there any of, of the other of, of raising mm -hmm. helping the other that I'm missing? Well, um I mean, I'd say yes. Uh, um, the way I think of it is a little bit like, you know, the, the man or woman who are uh, in medical school. While they're there, you know, you've probably known uh, uh, kids of your friends or people that you know who have gone through medical school. There's this period in their lives when they, you, you don't, they don't have time to come home for dinner and they're working all the time and they're not helping anybody because they're, they're learning. Um, the, the, the intention, though, is for them to become very helpful, actually. But while they're, while they're in this kind of training, and it's as, um, it's as arduous, probably, as any form of training you can think of, they really aren't that available. Maybe they can't come home for Thanksgiving. Maybe, um, maybe uh, basically, they're not, they're, they don't seem to be helping anybody. All they're doing is taking in knowledge and kind of grappling with it and, and, and trying to imagine how they can apply it, perhaps. Uh, that changes, though, you know, as they become competent. I think I've always seen monastic life a little bit like that. Um, the senior monks that I've known, say Lumpur Viridamo, um, in Thailand where you, know, you get to look at a lot of monks, boy, some of them are just always giving. Uh, and I'm, I'm not talking about a nine to five now. Um, some of the senior monks who have real wisdom and, and, and you know, value that they can offer, that's, that's their sole motivation from what I can say. And they are available to the monks are training, the nuns, um, you know, the, the mothers and fathers of monks who come, to the villagers, to you know, they're they're talking about um, affairs of state and um, kind of um, 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 naughty water buffalo, and they're talking about you know they're 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 discussing, they're meeting people at every level of society sometimes for like 20 hours a day. Yeah, so that, that's a pretty high standard of, of selfless service, but that, that does seem to be 
a kind of natural uh, outflowing of, of monastic life for for some people with with you know the kind of talent we might call the talent for wisdom or the talent for you know open-heartedness in this way but the the training involved to become a person of that caliber does it, it takes a, it takes different amounts of time and it isn't to say that that uh, when I started this life or or when Siri Mato started, it isn't to say that that's what I have to do. That 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 will mean that I've succeeded, you know. But um, the way the Buddha put this in very modest terms is that there is tremendous benefit in the, in in human life to seeing that some people have given themselves to some kind of transcendent goal. You know, they they are doing their their utmost to become decent, generous, and kind human beings. And um, it means enough to them that, they, that they, they, they step out of, you know, the norms that we acknowledge and that they, they, um, they give themselves in, in this unusual way to becoming good, decent, generous, kind human beings. Some of these human beings will be have a kind of genius for spiritual development, spiritual teaching, and for that kind of generosity that we see in, in great saints, we'll say. But, you know, not too many, because they stand out precisely because there aren't many of them. But it is the vehicle to train that kind of goodness. And um, so in a Buddhist culture, there's, there's a great deal of... Um, value seen in, in um, giving oneself to this training. That said, I mean, not all Buddhist monks, I mean, there are some naughty monks, you know, and there are some lazy monks and very, very selfish monks. And But we could probably say that of MDs as well, or lawyers, or, you know, whatever the, the standards of our, of our surrounding culture are. Um, people do vary a lot, um, but um, what I notice in, in, in people who, who value uh, uh, monastic life and what it brings is that, is that they, their standards are quite high and um, um, they're, they're, they're aware that the value of le doing what they do, leading the life that they do, may not be really evident for some time. Yeah? It's kind of, yeah, there's faith involved. And uh, you know, from a Christian perspective, of course, you you understand that um, not everything is going to be seen. Um, faith is going to be is going to inform a great deal of one's perspective on, on anything. So um, I'm not sure if some of those things kind of help orient. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Just mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I can clarify. You know, like I, kind of growing up is, you know, all this, you know, um, serving others and you know, feeding people and clothing people and disaster relief and um, uh, like my mom's church is. Uh, how many refugees over there? Like a number of refugees, and uh, those kinds of you know, so especially in the churches I grew up, a lot of social service 
helping, you know, uh, mm-hmm. helping others, that's kind of, I mean, I was, you know, that's like, it was Jesus' word, kind of. He's <coughs> out there and, and so I think you know, you know even for myself like in the beginning it's okay where is that in, 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 in the Buddhist life where is where does that happen and, um, I mean I've I guess I've seen it, you know like yeah watching Ajahn V right like he's he's the I guess I guess it would seem to me like a lot of it more comes from uh, people's mental health Kind of, I think there are Buddhist social work works that go on for sure, especially in you know in in Asian countries where where there's enough you know people to, to go forward or something. And the village temples uh, do a lot to the poor villagers mm-hmm. and the clothing they do things and mm-hmm. collect stuff and give and food. Even animals, just uh, wandering dogs, a whole lot of things like that. And they run sometimes to top daycares for the small kids. And all the nature. All the nature. So, yeah. Especially after the war, there's a monk who is doing a lot for the orphanage children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. school. And I think a lot of times, like, you know, there's not, monks aren't the, we're not, we're not the, there's a lot more lay Buddhists than monks, right? So yeah. lay Buddhists yeah. do all kinds of, yeah, disaster relief, and as far as I understand, I've seen examples of that. Well, there's a lot of um, Buddhism, I'm sure you've heard, is, has a lot to say about compassion. Mm-hmm. So then you just sort of ask, well, um, how does a human who values compassion respond to crisis or need or pain or whatever? And it, it, it does vary. Um, um, but, but yeah, there are lots of examples in Buddhist cultures of, of that very thing, of, of, of people finding ways in themselves to be, to be good and kind and, and uh, to help uh, uh, the up, you know, to bring uplift to other people's lives. And lots of Buddhists are probably selfish and you know just <laughs> kind of self-centered and uh, and that too. We human beings uh, struggle with, with with these kinds of things, but um, probably Buddhists don't um, don't speak about that, you know, don't articulate these things in quite the same way that uh, that because Christians are famous for at least you know sincere, serious kind of Christians are famous for. Developing the these approaches and and, and um, articulating uh, certain ways of of uh, being in the world that are uh, bring benefit to others, but um, yeah, we do we do find in Buddhist cultures lots of uh, lots of uh, um, ways to be of of help and uh, solace to to other other people. Yeah. I have seen a lot of parallels between uh, Trappist monks and uh, Jesuit monks, what uh, the forest lineage monks are doing, more Franciscan Franciscan monks, that people who are suffering with mental defilements, they give a lot of uh, things to to bring their mental levels better and things like that. 
But in the Asian countries, they do mostly around the temples, giving stuff away, and they have the resources, get the people around and do. But in your lineage, do a lot of good things for, mm -hmm. for us to be in a more <coughs> <better> mental condition. <laughs> and also the sick and the suffering, which I mean, I see all the time going to palliative care people, people mm -hmm. and chanting and giving them hope. Yeah, yeah. Can I offer? Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry? I was thinking of a different perspective of this whole thing in the sense that uh, if I go to the core teachings of Buddhism and that uh, I wouldn't use the word suffering but the unsatisfactoriness of life and that essentially the monastics help you to to uplift yourself from that unsatisfactoriness. And I think that's my experience as a Buddhist where the monastics have helped me in that sense. Mm. Yeah. I also hope we don't overlook kind of where we're sitting. Mm -hmm. I, um, I come from Christian tradition, I was a missionary. Um, and the, the, the life of Christ still speaks to me, mm -hmm. um, particularly the spiritual components of that. Um, I, was, I was thinking about this when you were talking to um, about your own practice, and I hope, I hope I'm not being inappropriate, but um, this place is so wonderful just to be able to come to a place, and I, I've been here for a few weeks, and I've seen person after person come here for different reasons to just kind of sort through their life and they're in different points in their life from crises to all kinds of things and so I guess I just a couple of things I don't I think one of the things Buddhists do is make monastic spaces available for the public um, at no charge um, to hide out and to feel <laughs> and to get quiet and unplug and rehab from society and life uh, that can be incredibly stressful. And, and I hope the two of you know how much uh, you have done to make this place available and, and how you touch other lives by doing that. Thank you. Thank you.